When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I am Subi. Alongside me, Taylor Dammel. We are brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate, and review us on whichever device it is that you use. Your college hooper of the day is Deuce Bellow. Yeah, Deuce Bellow. He was a college basketball player, started his career at Baylor in the Big 12. Then he moseyed on over to the SEC, played at Missouri, and finished his collegiate career at Eastern Tennessee State. Now, his career spanned from 2011 to 2016. The reason I say that is because nowadays we see players spanning three different conferences over the course of their career. It's not wildly surprising, not that shocking. But Deuce Bellow, first of all, great name. But second of all, pretty solid player, impactful guy. Played on a couple of good teams in Baylor and Mizzou. Uh, finished his career at Etsu, but this was pre-transfer portal, pre-movement as we see it today. And spanning three different conferences is almost like a badge of honor at that point. He's a pioneer, I suppose. So Deuce Bellow, he is your college hooper of the day. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow me at CBB Theater to find out where the feat is. You should also follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel. Let's open the curtains. We got another great episode, another great week. We'll recap what happened over the weekend. Obviously, Saturday was a lovely, lovely slate. But first, it is Super Bowl week. And more importantly, perhaps, especially to you and as a former Phoenician, it is Waste Management Open Week, my Mm. friend. And you were in the building 
your daughter's first your daughter's first exposure to waste management. Uh, how excited are you? I know this is probably your favorite week of the year in the Valley. Yep. Yep. Um, I can safely say that my daughter uh, had a much more sober experience at her first uh, day of the Phoenix Open, um, which was a Monday practice round. So it's a very different experience than the uh, a couple other days that I'll go this week. You know, so um, there comes a point in every person's life where they realize that they must at least gain one more ounce of maturity than they had the previous year. Certainly having a five-month-old with Phoenix Open being in town is a different experience or different plan for the week than maybe in years past. Uh, so I'd say it's safe to say that I'm not going to be there at 6 a.m. like three days this week. I will be there twice um, for various different with, with folks, you know, different stuff uh, for real estate purposes. But yeah, definitely not going to be the exact same experience as maybe we have had in the past. Let's put it that way. That being said, that doesn't make it any less exciting for me, of course. You'll be up though at 6 a.m. most likely, right? You just won't yeah. be counting bloodies and going. Well, an Uber, yeah, right? yeah, right. Yeah. Um, on Thursday, I'll be at Greenskeeper. So that's going to be a day, you know, um, and then Friday, uh, I'll be at one, one of the suites on either the 16th or 18th hole. So um, fortunately, uh, that means that you don't have to be there at seven in the morning. I can roll in about 9 a.m. instead and be fine. But um, yeah, you know, Travis Kelsey, uh, Patrick Mahomes, Brock Purdy, who cares? You know, that's what I, right. <laughs> this is my Super Bowl is this week. Okay. And um, last year, of course, the Super Bowl is here in Phoenix. Um, so, and Phoenix Open always overlaps with that at the same time. So that was quite the spectacle. Would imagine it will be one, literally just one quarter of a notch turned down compared to last year, this year, which means it's going to be a hundred 25 miles an hour rather than 140 miles an hour, you know, type of deal. But um, yeah, everything was looking crisp out there. Um, it is funny to see the place with only like 30, 40,000 people there on a Monday practice round rather than the 225 to 250,000 people there on a Friday and Saturday. But um, yeah, man, we, uh, we miss, we miss you out here. I think the TPC Scottsdale misses you out here for the Phoenix open. It's looking crisp for sure. You obviously sent me a photo of, of when you were out there earlier today, but I have to say, right, as a non-golf guy, I'm not a golf guy. I'm not even one to catch a few holes on Masters Sunday. And that's not me bashing golf people, right? I People like what they like, and I get it. It's obviously a popular sure. draw. But as a non-golf guy, I have to stress that you need to make it out there. If you're listening to this, you need to make it out to the Phoenix Open once in your life, especially if you're in the mid-20s. Look, you can enjoy it at any age for, yeah. for sure. But if you are a young professional, right, 20 to 30 years old, and you want to go out to the Waste Management Open, I would take it a step further and make sure you wake up, do your due diligence, uh, be responsible, and end up at 16 because it is absolutely worth it. The 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 energy, the crowd, it's everything that you see on TV. It it exceeds expectations. And that wake up call is probably going to be rough. I would we always say this. I would advise you to not go out Friday night so that you save your energy for Saturday morning. But the, it, it's going to end up being worth it. Like you're sitting around, you're a bit idle for a couple hours or so. Might be a little chilly, but once the golfers start to come through and the vendors start to come through. 
you're going to be set. And it, it is really, really a terrific event. And if you're older, I just, and Taylor, you can keep me honest here. I personally wouldn't try and walk around hole to hole unless that's what you're into. Right. I would do my best to try and find some sort of suite or a tent or seats where you don't have to walk around because what you're going to end up doing is being stranded in lines waiting for like one beer uh, and it's just not worth it. But on the whole, as a non-golf guy, I cannot, I cannot promote this event enough. The Waste Management Open is so much damn fun. And it's always so funny to me, Taylor. Like, I feel like before every Cowboys game, we see them opening the door and people sprinting. I'm oh, like, yeah. I don't know why you're sprinting to see Dak Prescott throw like four interceptions, despite the fact that he actually was pretty good this past year. But he threw something like that against the Packers. Uh, let me digress. They have some sort of running of the Bulls opening uh, in the Phoenix with the Phoenix Open, and it is a lot of a lot of fun. So I, I can't stress it enough. Get yourself out there if you have the opportunity. I can tell you that the scenery is probably better at the Phoenix Open than watching a bunch of Cowboys fans run into a stadium. I can I can tell you that for sure. Um, even on a Monday, scenery was good. Uh, scenery was good. So uh, you, you like to see that. You like to see things always progressing, moving forward, matriculating the ball down the field. Um, let me switch switch this up real quick with you, though, because I want to go back to Deuce Bellow for a minute. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, may. Okay. I may. I love the Phoenix Open, okay? But I could sit here and talk about the Phoenix Open the whole time. Logistically, it's like the craziest thing to me. That's what gets me. With the, the, that's a whole other side of things. Re real quick, two of your favorites sit down with your boys, beers on the recliner topics, waste management open and random college basketball players? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. We were laughing. Okay, sorry. So we were laughing today about like the difference between bachelor and bachelorette parties when we were at the Phoenix Open. Um, just because it's a very bachelor party and, and bachelorette party place. And um, I was talking to some other friends that we were there with today. And they're like talking about how, you know, the girl group that goes to the Phoenix Open and how they do it. And I'm like, well, yeah, the guy group. The problem is, is we try and get out here early, but we were naming slot wide receivers from the early 2000s until 7 a.m. And then realized that we needed to go to sleep for the Phoenix Open. So that's a classic. Uh, right before I go to bed, Brandon Stokely. All right, let's hit the sheets, fellas. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, Rashid Shahid is going to be such a good one in 20 years that uh, that we'll have to bring up. But um, mm -hmm. but yes, Deuce Bellow for one second, if I may. One second. Okay. I just want to read to you the roster of the two years because Deuce Bellow had an awesome high school mixtape. If anyone, I mean, that was kind of like prime high school mixtape time to 2011, I think his freshman year was. Let's, I'm going to read to you what the roster is. Okay. Sue, and I'm going to put you on the spot and you're going to tell me what Baylor's record in the Big 12 was that year. Okay. You ready for this? Sure. Okay. This roster of Baylor's had Pierre Jackson. Corey Jefferson, Isaiah Austin, Brady Heslip, Rico Gathers, Torian Prince, Deuce Bellow, and LJ Rose. That's like five NBA players. And like an NFL player, uh, too. How many? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Speaking <laughs> of Cowboys. <laughs> How, what was their record in the Big 12 that year? How many total games? 18. Mm, I'll say, like, there's a reason you're asking me this question based off of the names that you just gave me. So I will say eight and 10. Yeah, nine and nine. Nine and nine. And that then that next, that next year, they added Ish Wainwright to that roster and went nine and nine. 
that's like six NBA players on that team to go nine and nine. Luckily, Baylor won that national championship because <laughs> Scott Drew, for a while, you could have been like, dude, what are we doing here with all this talent? Well, him and Jay Wright had a pretty similar trajectory. I don't know if Jay Wright had some of those years. I'm sure he did where they weren't that great in the Big East, but there were always teams with talent and 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 potential for good runs. And I think this speaks volumes to sticking with your guy and being patient because what ended up happening, Jay Wright basically created the gold standard, the the last gold standard as we know it, a dynasty in college basketball. Scott Drew now has a national title under his belt and probably the greatest rebuild in college basketball history, potentially sports history. Uh, And also now Baylor is a top four seed for the most part, year in and year out, right? They're always hovering around that. They're one of the 16 best teams in the country entering March every single year. So that that is funny. I mean, it's it's weird, right? Like, I'm sure coaches say, I don't know what it takes to click, but once it does click, we're going to be nasty. And I don't foresee Baylor going nine and nine in conference for a while. Like, what are they right now? I don't. What are they? What are they currently? Don't even know. I don't like, are they on track to, and obviously the big 12 is amazing, but are they on track to finish 500? Well, in let me conference? Tell you. I'll tell you right now, Sue, they are five and three in conference right now. So okay. yes. Yeah. I, I don't think they're going to lose. I don't think they're going to go four and six the rest of the way. If, no, uh, if probably like a, Although, like a 13 and five type of type of trajectory. They escaped by the hair on their chinny chin chin mm-hmm. against our boys in, uh, from aim shout out J.R. Blount. A tough one for the clones as uh, they basically hit a game winning three, but it was just, just late. And there was a calamity of errors by the refs late in that uh, game, not only in Waco, but across the country. And it's been happening for the last few years. We're going to get into all of that, but Taylor, uh, I want to talk a little bit about your reactions. Just open it up. Generally speaking from this past weekend of amazing games Saturday, obviously the highlight, we had Houston, Kansas. We had Duke, Carolina. We had UConn, St. John's. We had Tennessee, Kentucky. Uh, Obviously, I mentioned Iowa State, Baylor. We had Utah State, San Diego State. Auburn, Ole Miss was a really good game. Uh, So I just want to start with this, your reactions, and more specifically, your winners and maybe losers from this past weekend. I think the team I was most impressed with this weekend is not exactly the question you're asking, but at least close enough is Tennessee. I was very impressed with Tennessee and specifically, I mean, we, you and I are both and have been in agreement for years that Tennessee is, you know, they just got to get over this hump, right? They've been so good for so long. Um, despite the fact of what some Tennessee fans have said to us or me, uh, we're actually pretty pro yeah. Tennessee. Yeah, but we're <laughs> yeah. we're pretty pro Tennessee for not Tennessee fans, right? Mm-hmm. Only in two games in the last three years have we not been pro Tennessee guys, right? But um, we always belabor the point and really beat this dead horse that they are so awful offensively. But Dalton Connect has changed all of that. Uh, so for a Tennessee team to put up 100 points is like seeing a panda in the wild type of deal. Like that's just not something that you, is common. So I know Kentucky's not good defensively i understand that but to score 100 points in a college basketball game on the road in conference against the best uh school not not this year necessarily but the best school in the conference is a certainly notable thing so for me that was the biggest winner of the weekend is if tennessee can play like that 
and you said it, you texted me, that if Tennessee can shoot 30% or better from three, like they'll go to the final four. That's all we need. And we've been saying that for years. Is Hey, can we just get someone to do something offensively? So um, that was my biggest takeaway from the weekend was was t- uh, Tennessee's performance. Um, Kansas, I thought Kansas was going to win that game against Houston. Um and and they did, and they wanted pretty. I don't want. I don't know if handily is the right word, but they they certainly put together a pretty a pretty solid performance there. Um, so that was, I guess, online. Um, of course, uh, Houston had lost earlier in the weekend, early early in the week, and that's another point I want to bring up right there. The AP poll is really interesting this week, and I know that we don't give a shit about the AP poll or anything, but there's a number of teams that lost this week. That seems like the writers just said, well, their performance on Saturday was good, so let's just forget that they lost this week, mm-hmm. which was kind of interesting to me. I, it, should I know also be noted, it should also be noted about Houston that they only beat Texas in overtime. A right. lot of people yeah. have things to say about Texas. Mm-hmm. Sorry, just didn't wanted they, to throw that in. Right. Well, and then did, didn't Wisconsin, did Wisconsin lose twice this week? Yeah, to Nebraska and Purdue. Okay, let me go off on a tangent here. Why is why what are we in so in love with with Wisconsin? Why are they still eleventh? I don't I love understand. Guards. I know, but like they just lost twice this week, and to Nebraska. Like I, I know Nebraska is like good or better that you know, and losing to Purdue is not losing a bad to Purdue loss. is basically like it's not fine. even playing a game. Yeah, right. So I just think it's funny that like Wisconsin lost to a team earlier this year by thirty points on the road, and somehow made it all the way back to the top five and then loses twice this week. And they're like, ah, oh, we'll just drop you just a couple. You know, this stuff. And so I kind of, I don't know. I don't think, I don't really think that highly of them. I know that, I know that their guards are good, but the, the fact that they're still 11 and they're, and some of these teams just aren't falling when they lost, they lose. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I just think it's an interesting thing. Maybe Wisconsin, I'll say it's wrong because I just don't think that they're, I don't think they're the 11th best team in the country. I think they're like the sure. 20th best team in the country, you know, or in that range. So I think it's interesting that they've gotten kind of these passes as we've gone along. They've gotten smoked in some games this year, um, albeit on the road in one of them. But I just think that they've kind of got a lot of benefit of the doubt um, in a couple of these teams. I know, again, North Carolina beats Duke as an example. North Carolina lost to the 135th ranked team in Ken Palm this last week and didn't lose and go down a single spot in the AP poll. There's something I know they beat Duke, uh, but they also beat him at home as well. And this Duke team's not world beater. So I think we've seen some interesting things with the AP poll this week too, where it's like, all right, it's not like North Carolina lost to a good school with their early loss this week. They lost to a team that's ranked 135th and yet they don't fall at all. So I know all of this AP poll is just a bunch of bluster. We don't care, whatever. Just think this is the time of year we find some of that stuff where it's a little interesting. Um, but it's going to be tough when it comes to tournament time and selection Sunday because there's quite legitimately a shot that like three, there's a real shot that three of the number one seeds have five losses or more. And I'm not sure historically how often that's happened, but it certainly doesn't seem like to me that that would be a pretty uh, a very common thing. Yeah, unpacking your answer. There's some good call-outs. I think I can agree with Wisconsin. And Rothstein put Wisconsin over Arizona by one spot in his rankings. But I was like, first of all, Arizona beat them head-to-head handily. Uh, They also both lost to Purdue, but Wisconsin lost at home. Uh, And also, Wisconsin blew, I think, a double-digit 15, maybe 20-point, 19-point lead. 18. 
18. 18 point. Okay, somewhere in between. Thank you. Uh, against Nebraska. Nebraska is actually strong. I like Nebraska quite a bit. They forced overtime on the road to Illinois. And again, I'm not going to fault Wisconsin for losing to Purdue, but how do you want to view it, right? How do you want to view these losses? I actually think it's pretty bad that Wisconsin blew that loss against Nebraska. And you also have to remember, Taylor, right? If we're going to be looking at Wisconsin as a top seven team, while Nebraska is good, that's a game that they should they should win if we want to take them seriously as a potential two seed. And I think that's out the window now. Wisconsin's probably on the three seed line. But okay, that's Wisconsin. Carolina, they went down to the absolute wire. And I guess Wisconsin went to overtime against Nebraska. But Carolina went down to the last possession against Georgia Tech. And you could argue that R.J. Davis did get fouled. Not their best performance. Their, their bench wasn't good whatsoever. We had Brian Ralph on last week, and he was just saying, this was just one of those games. And I think the bounce back wing went against Duke, who aren't world beaters, but better than what I'm reading on Twitter. I swear, man, you look at Twitter and you'd think Duke is a bubble team. It's kind of crazy to me. They're still very good. They're not as good as Carolina, which was clearly displayed. But Carolina has has built up the metrics and their defense is incredible. And I really think, Taylor, if you look at the eye test over the last month and a half, two months, I'm okay with them not dropping at all. Carolina is still a buzzsaw. But for me, just looking at this, the, the results from this past week, I'm like, it's not a funny interview. It's a very serious uh it was a serious topic. But R. Kelly with his Gail King interview, when he, you know, that clip when he's just like, oh my God all of them like who are the winners all of them like I, I just look at these results and i'm just so impressed with tennessee who you already talked about and that's the other thing taylor the houston kansas game the balls uh cats game the duke carolina game for as much as we hyped them up i'm going to be accountable and 100 honest with you and transparent those games weren't necessarily that competitive right like carolina kind of handled business throughout duke made some runs but were you, did you ever think the blue devils were going to win no Kansas couldn't miss. Houston was on the back foot at the under 16 timeout. And then what's the last one? Tennessee, Kentucky. I think Tennessee shot out to a 15 to six lead and I never really looked back. So when I look at those three, again, you talked about Tennessee, Kansas, my goodness, they could not miss. I think they shot nearly 70%. And I thought Houston was going to win that game. Um, and I thought Houston, they didn't play well, but I also don't think Kansas is going to shoot 70% again, against that defense, but very impressive. Um, and then Carolina coming back home in a rivalry game when Duke kind of smelled food and like blood in the water. Duke wins that game. They're tied at the top of the ACC with Carolina. And you start to think like, what's going on with UNC? So I think UNC doing a really good job of picking up their bootstraps and taking care of business was impressive. The other team though, Taylor, I, I can't stop talking about them, I suppose, but it's UConn. They're the only serious yeah. team. Yeah. They're the only serious team, Taylor. Like, the, you know, the one kid in eighth grade who does his dishes, his chores, his homework, and he's, you, you kind of don't like him for that. Like, maybe we don't like Danny Hurley for his antics or just the team being a buzzsaw, whatever it is. But everyone else is kind of fooling around. We always say it's tough to win on the road. Yeah, it is. It doesn't seem that difficult for UConn. Didn't seem that difficult for UConn to win on the road without one of their best players in Alex Caraban going to St. John's and beating a, a tough squad. 
I don't know if, if the Johnnies are a tournament team, but they handle business every single game, Taylor. Like every game they handle business. And you could say, look, well, what about the Seton Hall game? Okay, fine. They, they are allowed to be a little human. But I'm just so impressed with UConn week in and week out, dialed in and executing game plans, their defensive identity. Cam Spencer is just unbelievable. I hate him. I don't like Cam Spencer all that much. I think he's arrogant, but who's stopping him? He's him. I, I would say he behind Dalton connect. He's been the best transfer, uh, at least amongst the the powers, maybe Harrison Ingram as well. Like it's those three that come to mind, but Cam Spencer, like everyone was talking about Steph castle and he had a terrific game. Cam Spencer was on the floor. He was hitting timely threes. He was making great decisions with the ball in terms of passing. I, I just don't understand why people are saying, and this is no slight to Purdue for the life of me. I don't understand why people are trying to shoehorn them into the same category, the same atmosphere as UConn. It is very clearly UConn to me at the top bit of a drop-off. I would say, I don't, however you want to measure it, but it's not, it's not like Purdue's nipping at their heels. I don't think they're that close. There's a bit of a drop-off to them, Purdue. Then I think it's Carolina, Tennessee, and then debate, with your mom about the rest, but UConn again, man, just getting it done without caravan on the road. The step, let's put it this way. I think the step length between UConn and the rest of the field is um, that step you take out of your house onto the landing of your front porch, right? It's not a, a an inch. You have to like see that it's there. That's the difference. Like they are better than everybody else. They're not so far better than everybody right. else maybe, but they're, it's enough length where you're going to trip over it. Right. So it's um, just enough to see that they're better. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like at night you need to make sure a lights on to make sure that you can get over this hump. Right. So no, I completely agree because I texted you on Saturday morning and I said, Hey man, I think St. John's keeps us close today. Uh, and that was even before any injury news or anything had come out, you know? And so, um, the fact that they didn't, I mean, it wasn't a blowout by any means. I think they won by 13, but I mean, they they control the whole game. They're probably the only team in the country now at this point that you can say doesn't have a bad loss. Um, you know, their losses are. I mean, at Seton Hall at the time was not a bad loss at all, and then there are other losses to Kansas, Kansas. right? And that's it. I mean, even and look they at, beat yeah. UNC too, right? And I mean, you look at Purdue. Purdue lost Northwestern. You know, I mean, that's a bad. They almost lost uh, the the other night to. Um, uh, almost who, lost to Wisconsin. Yeah, uh, uh, but North Northwestern again. Yeah, they went to overtime. Is that who was again? Yeah, home. was it Northwestern? They did lose. I don't think that's that bad of a loss. I think Northwestern is a tourney team, sure. but like Nebraska is not that great of a of a loss. I'm, if again, right, I'm, if you're gonna be like, if you're gonna be in that combo, no, yeah, you can't have that, right? I mean, North Carolina has losses to to Villanova, which is a bad loss. I mean, Villanova yes. just finally beat Providence, which also Providence. What are you doing? Uh, yeah. yeah, but um. I, I know it was on the road, but still Nova had lost what, like eight in a row before that. Um, like that. And then, you know, UNC's lost to Georgia tech. I mean, those are two legitimately bad losses, you know, um, UConn point being UConn is the team that like, okay, at Seton hall and against Kansas. And those are their only two losses. Like that's, that's fine. I mean, they're going to walk at this point to the overall number one seat, as long as they don't go through some crazy three game losing streak or something like that, which even they probably could survive that at this point, just given the fact that again, they don't have a single bad loss. All these other teams have multiple bad losses. They could even have a bad loss or two in here still win the conference and say, yeah, we're the overall number one seed um, in the tournament. 
So, so but that's the ahead. crazy thing, Taylor. Here's what I'm seeing, and I want to get your thoughts on this. I, I still keep seeing people saying that no, Purdue actually yeah, maybe no. not in the driver's seat. They're both in the front seats for the one seat. And I'm like, I really? One overall. Yeah, not I I don't I mean Purdue is awesome. Don't I'm not trying to say that they're not, but U- UConn, I think at this point has shown that they are far and away. And I would say far and away. They're not far and away better than Purdue, but they're far and away have a better resume than Purdue for the, the number one overall seed. I don't really see that there's a lot of debate in that. And it's not like we're, people are talking like UConn, like we used to talk about like Gonzaga. It, it, it's like, no, they played in just as tough as a conference and everything played the tougher, just as tough as a schedule as you, you have. So no, I'm with you on that. I think, uh, it would take a monumental type of collapse for them to be anything but a one seed at this point come tournament time. I would even be surprised probably at this point if they weren't the, you know, like I said, if they weren't the number one overall seed in the tournament. And because there's really only two other teams that are going to compete with them, like for that number one overall seed, maybe three in North Carolina, Houston and um, uh, Purdue. But, he, but uh, too. Yeah, uh, this Kansas seems not that, Last episode, we talked about how it was the worst start to Kansas Big Twelve. No, I know. You know, so I mean, they're not even on the same. They can't. Kansas is not as good as they usually are this year. I, I, I would say. I don't think that's going out on a limb by any. I don't think they're gonna get the number one overall seed, but I think there that that discussion might need to be had. Like if they beat Houston in Houston, they're yeah. Houston, like Houston, wouldn't have a shot at the number one overall. Right, right, right. I mean, obviously, we don't want to use the crutch of saying no it'll all get figured out like yeah we know that then we right. wouldn't even need to have a podcast if we could just say that to every answer right True. but um yeah i think i don't i don't i think houston's out on that i mean i think they can still get a one seed of course but yeah. um uh, it's interesting that on february 5th and 6th here we have a arizona is pretty much out probably as a one seed Tennessee even is probably out as a one seed, even though they've been they're super they have good losses though, man. Like their losses are to very good teams. But it's just crazy. Even South Carolina. Right. Right. But even but even at this point, like it's pretty clear who the one seeds are right now, I think. Mm-hmm. Because the fact is we're still like Wisconsin is still projected as a two seed right now, today, as we're having. And the fact that window, right, yeah. right, right. But Wisconsin, compared to the, all these other schools we just talked about, Arizona, Tennessee, uh, North Carolina, UConn, Purdue, Wisconsin's seven miles behind those schools, and they're still considered to be a two seed, right? So I think we've got this kind of one seeds are starting to really take shape. The other two seeds in Tennessee, Arizona, and Kansas are right there, and I think we're all comfortable with that. But then Wisconsin, anyone behind that is like, ugh, that's not – I'm not doing, taking Wisconsin to do shit this year. As a two seed, no, I don't yeah. think so. At least, so um, yeah, I, I just I, again just think it's kind of very unique to have that already with still, you know, a month and a half left before selection Sunday. We really have a good idea of probably how this is going to fall out. Now, the beautiful thing about college basketball is that right when you think you know how things are going to go, then you play a road game in a blizzard somewhere and this all goes awry so um i do want to bring up another team that has been probably the sneaky most impressive team in the country over the last maybe even month and a half that i I don't think anybody's talking about yes please do is it virginia no is it south carolina it's you're 
it, you're kind of in the right area of the country, but keep going maybe further south. Further south. Is it Bama? Bama's lost one time since December 20th. Was to that Tennessee. Oh, to, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Their last two losses are to yep. Tennessee at Tennessee. And they, and they got smoked, just to, you know, just to be honest. But their last loss before that, if you look at their loss, speaking of good losses, and we talked about this two months ago when they were going through this stretch, they had a brutal stretch where in, in three games in a row they had to play Purdue at Creighton and Arizona in Phoenix, and they lost mm -hmm. all three of those games. And I think people kind of wrote them off. But it's like, okay, so two of those teams are maybe a one seed, at worst a one and a two seed. Creighton at the time was the number eight team in the country. But Bama's kind of sneaky – been under the radar they've what they've won uh tw what is that 10 of their last 11 11 of their last 12 in the in the sec an sec that we have decided is was a is better than what we anticipated considering how good south carolina has ended up being auburn has bounced back really well from not some early season struggles but falling unranked at one point um they are projecting as like a three seed right now and when I was looking at bracketology the other day, even I was taken aback, even as much basketball as I watch. I'm like, shit, Bama's a three season. And you go look at like, oh, yeah, I mean, they're 16 and six. They've only got one more loss than teams like, you know, in Arizona or a, a can or a Kansas or a Tennessee, you know, all those. And you're like, oh, shoot, like they're kind of up there. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on Alabama, but I just wanted to point that out that like they're probably the most undervalued. I don't know if this is how they're going to continue into the tournament but currently today they're one of the most undervalued teams and one of the hottest teams in the country while i dive into bama can you confirm if they host tennessee also because i know they have they lost at tennessee right um so i'm wondering that march, game that, march 2nd man that's gonna ESPN. be huge because yeah. bama's bama's in sole possession of first place they are in the sec yep. sole are. possession right. of first place and they're rolling right now so yes i was gonna bring up alabama and also South Carolina, but let's start with Bama. At the beginning of the season, one of my takes was, I think it was the day of the first game, one of my takes was, I expect Bama and Texas to rise in the rankings. I'm not sure where Bama checked in yesterday uh, when the latest rankings came out, but I think they were at like 20 or 22, which is kind of where they've been living the entire season. And during that three-game stretch, they were unranked. Fine. 16. 16. 16. So I said Bama was going to rise. I said Texas was going to rise. Texas has not done that. Texas has been in and out of the top 25, as in like 23 or unranked, right? I don't think Texas is, we're going to see a Texas team higher than 20 uh, the rest of the way. Bama, I was concerned about. I was like, dang, Bama's not rising either. I just needed a little bit more patience because they're absolutely hitting their stride. I don't want to necessarily say it's the right time or the perfect time because there's still a lot of season left. But, man, they are going to keep rising up in these rankings. You see them at 16 now. Don't be surprised if we see them at 11 or 12, and contributing factors will be other teams losing. But Mark Sears is playing at an elite level. Nate Oates can coach, without a doubt. Nate Oates is one hell of a ball coach. But I credit this to Mark Sears. I also credit this to Grant Nelson. I think it took a little bit of time for Grant to get acclimated with big time basketball coming over from North Dakota state. And I'm not saying North Dakota state isn't big time, but it took a little bit of time for Grant to get acclimated with the level of competition and the style of play that, that Bama's that Bama's playing. Um, I saw him in that Arizona game and quite honestly, he was kind of dreadful. And now he is a 
key cog for them. And I think that's what they expected. And I expected, I think we named him one of the top transfers along with Dalton connect. The thing with connect it's, it's that it's clicked instantaneously and he's kept that level of play to the point where I think he should be national player of the year at worst two behind Zach Eady. but Mark Sears and, and Grant Nelson are just playing really, really good ball. And I think also Taylor, we've been so enamored with Auburn's rise and we love them, love Burgo, but no one was talking about Bama and they beat Auburn. Right. So I think this is coming at a very good time, maybe not the most optimal time, but I agree with you. Bama is going to continue to rise and they're going to be a team where if you look over the course of the season, those teams where you can point to, Hey, just be patient, be a little patient. Cause you know what Nate Oates can do. He was a one seed last year. Uh, he's been to a sweet 16. They got the talent. They got good players there at Alabama and maybe they didn't play that well. And you're saying to yourself, well, if we want to be serious title contenders, if we want to be final four elite eight guys, we got to beat teams like Purdue and Creighton and Arizona. And I'm like, guys, it takes a little bit of time and there's no shame in losing to those teams. So I'm glad you highlighted them and Bama's on a tear right now. And that Tennessee game, if they, if they keep up what they're doing, that Tennessee game is going to be for the title. And I don't think anyone had Bama winning, winning the SEC, especially with Tennessee being a top five team. Well, Alabama plays Auburn at Auburn this week. If they can get through that game, the rest of their schedule is pretty, um, not easy is pretty uh, conducive to further success. Let's call it until that Tennessee game, um, which yeah, like you said, could be for the title. So um, I want to ask you this question. If you had $10 to spend on a future and your three teams that you could bet on were Marquette, Wisconsin, or Alabama, which one of those three teams would you take right now? Ooh, you know, Marquette's kind of also flying under the radar, having bounced back. I think I'd take Alabama though. Okay. I think I'd go Marquette. I think yeah, I would go and they've Marquette. definitely bounced back a little bit, but I I mean the the amount that Alabama is flying under the radar right now is just is crazy. Because at least at least Marquette has Tyler Kolek, who people know and know that he's very good and stuff. So there's at least been a little buzz that has kind of even they had a couple bad losses uh, a couple weeks ago and you're like you're you're right, they have bounced back. Uh from there um when did they when they did had they a little bit games? of a they had a few hiccups a couple weeks ago yeah they lost to butler i mean they lost yeah. to seton hall at seton hall which we've discussed wasn't the worst is not the worst loss um but uh you know they lost to purdue they lost to wisconsin lost to providence lost to butler but then since then you know i don't know i'm not sure if i'm I, you know that i'm like i'm not sure if i'm still buying their their run because look at the teams they've beat on their current run Nova twice. Georgetown Nova sucks. St. Yeah, John's Georgetown. is a decent win. DePaul sucks. Georgetown sucks. Seton Hall at home, which is not a, which is a good, a fine win. Like, okay, so great. You bite you essentially your run has been beating the bottom half of the conference. So, so I, I think I think I, that that bet I'm still taking Alabama. I think of those three. I think it's a it's a good question, but I've seen what Marquette is at their ceiling, and that's beating Kansas right in true, in Honolulu. True. I've seen like, the 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 talk about Marquette in November and December, which is a long time ago. It's not necessarily how they're going to play in March, but their ceiling, in my eyes, is better than Bama's. I haven't seen Bama beat an elite team like Marquette has. And I think Marquette with, and I think Tyler Kolek's better than Mark Sears, 
just straight. I think Oso Iguodaro is better than Grant Nelson. Um, There's no disrespect to Bama, but I think Bama, they play in spurts. I don't know if I've actually, they just smacked Mississippi state. That was a comprehensive butt whooping. So I think for me, that was one of the first times I saw them not play in spurts and then just control from soup to nuts uh, in a game. I think I need a little bit more consistency. I think Marquette's ceiling is just a little bit higher than Bama's, but you're right. Like the tide are completely uh, flying, flying under the radar at their Taylor. I, I think it's also worth pointing out South Carolina hug for you. They're back in the top 25 and they just are road warriors, man. They're, they're a lot of fun to watch. And then Virginia, man, I've had some things to say about Virginia. I'm not saying they're going to go to the elite eight or anything like that, but they're winners of six straight. And they're vying at the top of the ACC. And there was a point in time, Taylor, where we thought Virginia's just straight up not going to make the NCAA tournament. They're back in the field for sure, uh, unless they the, the wheels fall off. But Virginia, I didn't think, was capable of winning six straight with the way that their season had been going and how disjointed it really was. Reese Beekman has stepped up, and he's probably going to be an ACC first-teamer. Uh, if not second teamer, he's he's been a tre- he's had a tremendous career there for the Cavaliers. But quiet as it's kept, the Cavaliers are are very hot as well. Yeah, I they I love as a betting man. I love anytime Virginia is an underdog. I I, I I've always enjoyed. I don't know if the numbers back that up, but anytime I can get like a Virginia plus five like this last weekend, I'm like, oh yeah, they're a the the pace is going to be so slow. That five is really more like an eight right you know to a lot of teams right? that's good <laughs> right and i'm like literally if they just hit like six threes we're gonna cover here you know so um no virginia has been impressive i wonder how um with the te- going a d- little different direction here i wonder with like the terrence shannon situation in illinois another team that has now already all moved all the way back up to number 10 i think um yeah they're back a ton yeah they're 10 do you think that we're not talking about them nationally just because of that issue? And I don't, we don't need to dive into the issue by any means, but like they did just all beat Nebraska in like overtime this last week or this last Sunday. So it wasn't like a super impressive win, but they've moved all the way back up too. And they seem to be kind of uh, off on their own without anybody talking about them either. Not many people are talking about them, but I think they've been around that 10 to 13 range the last couple sure. of weeks and they're good, man. And I, I always or the last that- five years, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, no. In, in a, a, when Ao when Ao Desumo was there, sure they were like the yeah, one, but yeah, right. Yeah, they were. That's right. But or was it Desumo or Kofi? The same time, whatever. But the, Kofi the point was there is, for like ever. I feel like, but yeah. Sorry, sorry. Continue. No, no, no. You're good. The point is, though, I always lump them with Clemson the last few years in the sense that we get so hyped about them in November and December, and then they both kind of fold in January and February. Now Clemson folds way harder, as in they don't make the NCAA tournament. Illinois will make the tournament, but then you just say to yourself, how potent can you be? They've had a good January. They haven't folded. They played Purdue tough on the road. I think this team is for real. I absolutely think Illinois could be an elite eight type of team. There's, there's a handful of those in Illinois, man. Marcus Damask just fills it up. Shannon, obviously back. Coleman Hawkins is so versatile defensively. I do think that maybe Illinois should be given a little bit more credit, uh, they're they're doing just fine like i i wouldn't call them a sleeper team i don't think you should view them as a sleeper team i think a sleeper team to go deep is like an iowa state where people just kind of get 
their record lost in the Big 12 shuffle, but they're super elite defensively and they remind teams or they play like teams that have gone to Final Fours in years past. But a team like Illinois, they're just good. And and they've proven me incorrect here in January. They are a really good team and they're, they're going to keep winning ball games. Like I, I, it's not, I wouldn't be shocked if I found myself and I got to look at matchups. If I found them going to the sweet 16 or elite eight, this is a very good team. So I hate to just keep going at random here, but just, you know, obviously thoughts on the weekend. So I'm going to go the other direction now. as so we've talked about some of the teams that we were thinking positively about this weekend. Can you tell me why I should care about Kentucky at this point? Well, their offense is still really good, and I think they're very talented. Um, but it, what? That's two straight home losses at Rupp, correct? And they've lost three of their last four overall. Yeah, I, their ceiling is so high, though. But and they're, I, just, and they're just kids, so as always. But I don't know, T. Like, there's better teams than Kentucky. I never bought them really as a top tier national title contender. Yeah, they have three home losses this year. Remember, they lost to UNC Wilmington at home earlier this year right. as well. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't see it with them. You know, a team, I just haven't, every time I watch them, I just don't come away overly impressed with with them, For especially as a team that was ranked 10 coming into this game this weekend, had an opportunity to really kind of set their season straight with Tennessee coming in there. As impressed as I was with Tennessee, I think I was equally unimpressed with allowing Tennessee to score 103 points, right? And I know they got they got guys over there, but Kentucky is a team that, to me, I just don't see how they're going to put it together cohesively on the defensive end of the floor for the tournament. I just don't, I don't see how that's going to come together, maybe for a game or two, but I can't see them stringing four good defensive games together in a tournament to go anywhere, any further in this tournament, or far in the tournament, excuse me. So their defense won't allow them to do that. I agree with that. Uh, what I was going to say is to be fair to them. I don't know if they've had their projected starting five on the floor at sure, all. This season. Sure. They're always injured, but Taylor at some point, if like you get to sec conference play or the NCAA tournament and the first game is with your projected starting five with everyone healthy, that could also present a problem because they've never played together. They don't have reps together. Right. So they're going to the Brooklyn Nets circa 2001 route or whatever that. Yeah. Like, Hey, Harden, Durant, none of you have played together, but Hey, let's try you out for the playoffs. Hope it works. Yeah. So the continuity is just not there for Kentucky. And so they need to get it back quickly because they need to get reps before postseason play, which includes SEC conference tournament. But right now their defense just, it's not unfixable, but if they don't fix it quick. Yeah. I think everyone's going to be pointing to the fact that if, if they go up against the team, lights it up and Tennessee doesn't light it up they could get clipped in the round of 32 for sure easy easy they play a Princeton round one oh, yeah they play Princeton they're getting smoked <laughs> I mean just with their offensive prowess I uh, uh, or their ability in in Kentucky has no defensive uh what's care at all let's put it if they play like a very efficient mid-major in that in that first round that's gonna be a tough matchup for them. I think, you know, yeah. not that I, not that I know any really good offensive teams that have lost to Princeton in recent years, but, but not, but that's the exact example that that would be like their worst nightmare. I feel like to play in the tournament. Yeah. And it's funny if their offense isn't clicking, then they get, like you said, blown out, like not just Princeton outscoring them, but if they limit Kentucky to not being able to score, then, then they're in some trouble. 
Uh, awesome weekend though. That was a lot of fun. Um, let's Dude, it talk. Was great. It was great. Wasn't it? And, oh, it just, I, I, I did step out of the house for a little bit on Saturday, went to a bar, you know, so we had the games on, but yeah, it just feels, we had talked about this last week, but um, not that we don't love the Super Bowl. I know we we're talking about that earlier. Obviously we still love the Super Bowl, despite the fact that this was the worst possible matchup. Um, when college basketball really gets going, like for people like you and I, it's just, for, and for me too, like the sun's starting to come out more and it's just like a beautiful, it's a beautiful time of year. Like college basketball gets going again um, or, and it gets put into the na- national spotlight. And this weekend was perfect for that. And I was surprised before we move on here, Sue, I was surprised. So we had three top 10 matchups. So meaning three games where both teams were in the top 10 this last Saturday. And that was the first time that it happened in 30 years on the same day. I was really surprised that it was that uncommon to have three matchups within this top 10. I figured like the last couple of years, the big 12 alone had, yeah. would have three matchups in the top 10 or just combining the big 10 and the big 12. You, you would get gotten enough of those. But so I was really surprised that we hadn't seen three top 10 matchups on the same day since you and I were about four years old. That was surprising to me. Oh, that's a nugget. I, I didn't think that, but yeah, this past weekend was incredible. Uh, I had the house to myself, so took the dog out for a walk early Saturday morning, and then I was like, we're not moving from here. Only time I'm moving is to go get my Uber Eats. So Saturday was a uh, perfect day. Hey, Taylor, before, though, we get to segments, I want to talk real quick about the AAC. Have you looked at the standings in the AAC? Like, just for a, a good chuckle, because you know what? I can bring it up. No worries whatsoever. Let me go ahead and bring up the standings in the AAC because it's pretty funny and it's got names that you probably wouldn't have thought are at the top leading the pack, the Charlotte 49ers. They're eight and one in conference FAU also eight and one. Now I I don't think FAU looks good whatsoever, but okay. They're still tied for first South Florida. Abdul Rahim doing another amazing job at South Florida, uh, turning that program around. They're also tied for first Rob Lanier. At SMU, he's six and three. They're in second place. UAB, Andy Kennedy, he seems to be super consistent these days. Memphis, David Jones kind of saved their season against, I think it was Wichita Losers. State. Just losers. Uh, I mean, they're, they're not as good as what they were I know, when they were like I know. 10. Yeah. <laughs> but Memphis is down there. I mean, this is all part of the reason why I'm saying, have you seen this? Because uh, don't get too alarmed, but Charlotte, South Florida, and SMU, might be in the tournament. One of those three could be in the NCAA tournament. All right. And the reason I bring this up is because if FAU doesn't win the conference tournament, then these guys have as good a shot as any. And you know who actually might, might have an at large Taylor. It's SMU. Mm-hmm. Like they're, net, SMU. they're like 45th in the net. Yeah. Like I never, I did not think SMU would, if you really dive into it, you can see that SMU does have a shot at an at-large if they continue to stack wins. And Rob Lanier, yes, if that name in basketball sounds familiar, he is the cousin of Bob Lanier. Uh, He's doing a tremendous job with the Mustangs. They picked up a huge win. I think it was against UAB the other night. And look at the Mustangs, man, for being second in the conference and still having a shot at going to the tournament. 
with an at-large bid. Let's see what they do the rest of the season. Let's see what they do in the conference tournament. But I think everyone thought that this was FAU or Memphis. I picked Memphis to win this conference, and it was looking good for a minute. FAU hasn't looked good. Uh, of course, in conference, they're they're squeezing out wins. They're still 8-1. They're such a weird team. They're still 8-1. and That's what their record says. But, man, did anyone think, and I want to bring attention to this, did anyone think Charlotte, South Florida, and SMU would all be battling for the regular season title? I certainly didn't. I would say there's an argument that two of the three best basketball programs in this conference are the two worst teams and Memphis in the middle of the pack. I'm not saying the best teams this year. I'm just saying the best basketball schools as a general sense in the conference. Wichita State and Temple are both one and eight. And Charlotte and South Florida are leading the <laughs> conference with FAU. Like that. I know that Wichita State had a run there. I, I know that this is just a little, uh, I don't know if hyperbole is necessarily the right word here, but like the fact that Temple and Wichita State are the worst teams in the conference and so Charlotte and South Florida are the best is kind of just goes to exactly to your point of, of how random this is. It's just funny. Like this is going to be, we need to, I want everyone, this is a PSA. I want everyone to start taking a look at all of the conference standings because that's going to give you an, a good idea of, of potential bid stealers and chaos in conference tournaments. Like the AAC may not sound like fun on the surface, but you already have two good teams in terms of talent as it relates to FAU and Memphis. And now you got these three teams, Charlotte, South Florida, and SMU vying for a spot that conference tournament is going to be a lot of fun. You could also do the same thing with some terrible conferences where the the number one team in the conference right now is like three games below 500. So uh, it's it's been amazing there in in the AAC. How about how about Wichita State having 11 of their 12 wins at home this year? Did I see? Am I reading that correctly? Hold on, I gotta go back. I can, I can. No, I can bring this back up. I'll bring. Am I I reading that that right? Yeah, or Tulsa? Excuse me, Tulsa Tulsa. has twelve wins and eleven of them are at home. (laughs) Like you don't get a team often that is that is uh, as a that many wins at home compared to even Wichita State is seven and three at home and they're one and eight in conference. Like that math, in the words of Jay Z at the Grammys which was kind of a dickhead thing to do, but the math ain't math in on, on how like a Wichita state is a, it's was so far above 500 at home yet. They suck. So um, we say Taylor, it's hard to win on the road. It is. That's true. such a crutch. It is true, but it's such a damn crutch. Just I've seen college basketball teams win on the road in the past in environments that are insane. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's go ahead and wrap this up though, with some segments, Damel dimes, if you don't mind, uh, last time you checked in, you hit three in a row, the three and oh man to send you to 21, 15 and three. Uh, and just to recap, you took Michigan state minus 11. I believe that was, Oh, sorry. Excuse me. Michigan state minus 11 against Michigan, Kansas minus 15 against Oklahoma state real get right game and Illinois minus three against Ohio state. What you got for us this week. And those all hit pretty easy. I, I those were not close at all. Let me just point that out as well um it was totally my fault that i uh was not available last uh last week uh for last episode for damn dimes i did go two and one we're not going to count that in the official standings here okay not recorded it does not, not count recorded. i'm so sorry not recorded so we're just going to keep going but again we haven't had a losing week in a long time 
long time. So let's. So I'm saying and, you're like Bama going under the radar. When on a people... run, we're on a run here, folks. So we're gonna start with the old Maryland Terrapins here. We're gonna take them minus eight at home against Rutgers. Rutgers is the third best defensive team efficiency wise in the country. And they are the 300th most efficient offensive team in the country. They're going up against a team that is the sixth most efficient defensive team in the country in uh, Maryland. You combine the 300th ranked offense versus the sixth ranked defense. I think that we're going to go with Maryland on that one. So Maryland minus eight there. Then we're going to take things over to two teams that we just talked about in some capacity, and that's North Carolina versus Clemson. I think North Carolina coming off that Georgia Tech loss, a big emotional win, Duke. I think that they're going to not have a hangover, but that's going to propel them to win by more than eight against Clemson. Clemson on the road, we've talked about kind of a little bit imposters here sometimes in the second half of the season. Um, and so we're going to go with North Carolina minus eight and a half on that one. And then we're going to take it to finish it off. We're going to go to the, we're going to go to, you know, I'm not sure uh, this is a game that you would bet, Sue, but we're going to keep betting on the Cox here. Okay. We're going to go South Carolina over Ole Miss by three and a half. Um, you know, we think very highly of, of, uh, of Ole Miss compared to just where they were uh, before this season. But I think South Carolina is going to continue that run here at home. So we're going South Carolina minus three and a half. We are going with North Carolina minus eight, and we're going with Maryland, or uh, excuse me, North Carolina minus, uh, excuse me, no, North Carolina is minus eight, my bad, and Maryland minus eight as well. So hang on, Carolina minus eight, because I have it written down as Carolina minus eight and a half. Uh, eight and a half, excuse me, eight and a half. Yep. All right. Let me just recap real quick. Maryland minus yes. eight, yes, Carolina sorry. minus eight and a half, there you South go. Carolina minus three and a half. There you go. Thank you. Appreciate it. We're going to, we're going to keep the heat going. You got it, man. You got it. Look, you got family in the house. You got kids. I'm trying to, I, I want to get you out of here. Cause there's been, oh, you're, you're good. What's not so mid that you took away this past week, Taylor. Well, it's probably the biggest, not so mid story of the week. And that is Gonzaga sucks. Am I wrong? <laughs> I don't think I'm yeah, wrong. They're not, they're not as good as I don't think they suck. By their standards, I suppose they do. If I told you that a team was not projected to make the tournament, I, I don't think we'd be average. They're good. Yeah, no, they're not but, good. No, they're not. They're definitely not. They are actually mid. Gonzaga is mid, actually, yeah. maybe. So, yeah. Yes. St. Mary's, though, is not. And so that game, Aiden Mahaney, couple big shots down the stretch against Gonzaga um, at in the kennel. That's the key here is, is to this is Gonzaga lost to St. Mary's in Spokane and we had kind of talked about this coming down the line here for the last couple of weeks about how this was kind of going to be the line of demarcation let's call it for this for both of these team seasons Gonzaga pretty much has to win their conference tournament to make the tournament yes so last and... week Taylor we, we said like watch it's still feasible do you still think it's feasible for the oh Bulldogs? it's total, totally still feasible still yes. okay yeah of course because I mean they lost by three or whatever at home um, or single digits right yeah but um but pretty awesome for saint mary's i think you know they did have a couple struggle games where like eh, are they going to be as good as we thought you know they, they were awful be. in the beginning of the year yeah right and um that win that win was just um for a guy like randy bennett was probably 
as cathartic, let's call it, as a win as you possibly could have. Sneaky, hate to have say this, but I'm going to. Had this conversation with friend of the program, Colton Groudon, this weekend. And he's like, well, wait a second. Because he's, Colt, my, my buddy Colton is a high school basketball coach. So he doesn't have a 100% amount of time to watch every single college game that's going on, right? Um, and he's like, so, man, he's like, I hadn't looked at Gonzaga's roster this year. There's like no international players on this roster. And this was during Arizona's game um, night before last. And he's like, man, what has Arizona got? 50%? international players i'm like yeah man don't look now i'm not saying that that tommy lloyd was the only guy driving the train there in spokane but like arizona's pretty good right and gonzaga straight up isn't and i think that's just a really interesting storyline here right now is not not to take i'm not taking anything away from mark few and everything that he's accomplished there because obviously this is just one year that they're not as good (laughs) the one year they're not in discussion for the top seed right and so this is not a trend, right? This is just a one-off thing, but I do find it very interesting that year three of Tommy Lloyd being out of Gonzaga, that their international players are almost all gone. They almost have none. And that they're just straight up. Like they're not beating anybody no. in the tournament. If they're they not make. right. Exactly. So yeah, St. Mary's not so mid really pray your hands to them. Uh, let's call it for like, Hey, they, they finally kind of got over the hump here. Now they just got to take it into port from here and they'll win the West coast conference, make the tournament. And they're an outlarge or an outlarge bid, regardless of whether they win uh, the tournament or not, in my opinion. So, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that. Uh, so I get the international aspect of it, Taylor. I would just say, generally speaking, the talent level is just not up to snuff and what we're used to with Gonzaga right? It's no disrespect to their current players, but there's not a Chet Holmgren on the, on the team. And I'm, you'd probably just say, Oh well, yeah, it's not, it's not every day you get a top two pick. Well, there's not a Drew Timmy on the team who is a Gonzaga all-time great. There's not a guy like Austin day. There's not a guy like Matt Bolden. There's not a guy like Jalen Suggs. There's not a guy like Nigel Williams, Goss, a Shevin Karnowski, a Zach Collins, right? Who are some other Zags in the NBA? Like they don't, they, they put, players in the nba yeah no these guys are 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 not like the talent has dried up at gonzaga and and they're a good example of like what revisionist history we often have to do from who we think is going to be a good transfer during the off season to what the actual practice is within the season nemhard committed to transfer to gonzaga while he was at his visit to arizona and Arizona fans were thinking that Nemhard was going to be our big guard transfer this year. And we were very disappointed to lose Nemhard to Gonzaga. Let me tell you what, I'm not trading Caleb Love one no, no. time out of 10 for no. Nemhard. Not one time. Not Caleb even Love's going to be back to not, play of the year. Yeah. Like, yeah, right. Like nothing. And so <laughs> it's just kind of funny how that kind of works out sometimes where we're like, oh man, it was just super disappointing. Now it's like, oh, this team without Caleb Love is nowhere near the team it would be with with Nemhard at, at yeah. the reins. So I also I also forgot to mention a guy like Rui Hachimura. Rui Hachimura is yeah. another you know player. just him too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh yeah I mean Gonzaga's has some dudes in and and right now they don't have the dudes. My not so mid Taylor. We're gonna go to the Bayou. Southeast Louisiana baby. They clip Will Wade and the McNeese Cowboys. McNeese had come in wanting 14 straight. Um Nine and 13, Southeast Louisiana. That's a team I would say is bad, but now they're elevated to not so mid. Nine and 13, they end up beating the 19 and three McNeese Cowboys. 
What a win. Just looking at the teams. Look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I watched the game. I didn't. Sue me. I didn't watch McNeese Southeast Louisiana. But looking at the team stats, it's just funny. Southeast Louisiana shot 53% uh, from the field, 48% from beyond the arc. That's going to get the job done a lot of times. Will Wade's team at the free throw line, 65%. They went 15 of 23, left a lot of points at the line, and they only lost by three. They're probably going to look at that. Um, but Southeast Louisiana, man, they were really physical. Uh, and they won the defensive rebounding battle 25 to 16. And um, let me say, what, what else is there? Uh, they got beaten points in the paint. Oh, and they also had 18 turnovers. So they had 18, like, it, it's just, there's a lot of evidence to show why Southeast Louisiana won, but there's also like that 18 turnovers, uh, why, why McNeese should have won. But then you look at the free throw line percentage for McNeese and it was dreadful at 65%, just a weird game, but Southeast Louisiana, I have to give them their props. Everyone is kind of just bowing down to Will Wade and McNeese. No, 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 not so mid Southeast Louisiana hat tip to you for the win. Lane I, w- I wish I oh, had ahead, something. Sorry. I wish I had something to say about either of those teams. I definitely do not. Though. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, and that's why I want, that's the whole reason we have this. Cause I don't think you're, a lot of people, you're not, have you're not so mid so much better than my not so mid every week. Cause your stuff's <laughs> actually like mid major. Mine's like, Oh yeah. Gonzaga. Have you heard of them before? You know, that mid major right. team that's been the one seed for, forever. Um, highlight the corners. Uh, who you got for lane violation though? John Calipari. Skipping his radio show after losing to Tennessee. Come on, man. Like I didn't know he did that. Like, I know that losses are tough to deal with, but you're like a 65-year-old adult man. I, I, can you just, just do your radio show that <laughs> that, that uh, you're kind of contractually obligated to do? So that's always an interesting or a, a, a disappointing thing to me when, when a coach like that goes, ah, you know, just not, not for me this week. It's like, come on, dude, it's a loss. Let's go ahead and be the professional that you're getting paid. He's making what? $12 million a, a year, highest paid basketball coach in the country. Right. And it's like, okay, I think you can do your weekly radio show after a loss. Like that's okay. You, you're, you should be doing that. So yeah. that's my lane violation is Live up to your the obligations that you've signed up for here, John Calipari. Be be serious. Be adults like UConn basketball. Be Although adults. Danny yeah. Hurley's kind of a baby. But yeah, the Hurley Hurleys aren't the best example. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> UConn basketball as a whole, I suppose. Yeah. But coaching, uh, coaching. What's the word I'm looking for? Coaching immaturity has been a common theme this year. You know, it's been another common theme, and it's my lane violation. The maddening behavior of the refs. Taylor, uh, I can't like I can't do it, man. I will do it. I can do it, but I can't do it any more with the reviews. And the only solution is to get rid of the reviews because it's too much of a crutch. If that's not a solution, give the review like a shot clock. You have 35 seconds to determine if a ball went out of bounds on this person, if a ball was tipped, if the foot was on the line, whatever. If you can't do a shot clock on that or a review clock. Get rid of reviews because Taylor, it's a crutch, man. You got a daughter. How reliant is she on you? And I don't know, is she doing binkies yet? Or is, is passies yeah. a thing? Yes. The bottle, whatever. How reliant is she on that? Because that is how freaking reliant refs are on reviews. In the, what game was it? It was in the St. Mary's Gonzaga game. Uh, 
this dude, I think it was Marshallonis, hits a like a, a three from from Boise, right? Or Coeur d'Alene, whatever's kind of close to Spokane. Yeah, Coeur d'Alene. Very clearly a three, Taylor. And oh, the very. second it, <laughs> and, and it, it's very clearly a three, and it's pretty darn clear that he got it off before the shot clock. Dude, the ball goes through the net, and the ref, instead of like getting ready for whatever inbounds play is coming from Gonzaga. He in like, I don't even know if the ball had gone through the net yet. He has his hand up ready to say review, like to review that. It, I think it was a three or that he got it off before the clock expired. And it's just so maddening, man. Like you're going to have to deal with some, this wasn't even that close, but you're going to have to deal with somewhat close shots that, Oh, was this, I mean, just look at the ball. It's it's through the net, and then the red light goes off. Like he clearly got the shot off, and we're going straight to the review, and and it's just become such a crutch, and it leads to the kennel throwing stuff on the floor, which was they're stupid. Don't do that. Fine, but why do you think they did it? Like yeah. every two seconds, it's just reviews, 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 and then you look at a guy like Scott Drew, who was I what out of the coach's box? Is that what it was? And you toss him for that? when we've seen coaches literally get on the floor and defend like Shaka Smart, like Archie Miller, they don't get tossed. But it's really about the reviews, Taylor. We we have to get rid of it. We have to get rid of the reviews. I cannot deal with these stoppages much more, much more because, oh, the other game, Creighton, um, Creighton, who did they play on Friday? Creighton and Butler. The last minute took 22 minutes. Taylor. <laughs> 22 you see here's the problem this is the real problem okay it is causing stress on relationships in the country these reviews are that's actually where the real problem is because i'm telling my wife and our five-month-old hey there's only a minute and a half left in this game and they're not gonna buy that that minute and a half took half an hour you know that's the real stress that it's causing here in our country it's just causing stress on us. It doesn't. There's no. There's no repercussions for the refs. There's repercussions for me, the college basketball fan, who now has to explain to his wife why I'm half an hour late to helping out with whatever I need to help out with because we had to go review the 17th out of bounds play. So maybe the so maybe the answer, and I don't know how you would do this, isn't getting rid of reviews, but do they just need like a an eye in the sky, like a send it to Sakakis type of type of review system rather than just leaving it right there to the guys in front of us. There's too many games. Like I, I, I know, that's like, I know that, yeah, maybe games. per conference. The maybe. Pac-12, the Pac-12 rested soul would figure out, figure out how to screw that up though. <laughs> probably just probably take longer. No, I, no. Taylor, I'm going to, my solution is to empower these, these reps. They, they, uh, they've never made a confident decision in their life. I am, I am convinced of it. Like crazy. run with it. And I did see a tweet. It's kind of true. You can't do this, but they're like, look, nobody cares who the ball was off of with 10 minutes to go in the second half or the first half. Like they're, they're big, they're big moments. I understand that, but can we introduce some sort of timer where you can review yeah. or just get rid of it be, or, or just in, like be confident, please be confident in your, I'd, I, I want Here's the first step. If you go to the reviews, I want it to because I want it to be because the coach or a player uh, are requesting it. Too many times I'm seeing refs being like, "I don't know if I made the right call, so I'm going to go to the review." Oh, Bro, no, no gotta be from any of the players either. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah. No, 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 no. You're right. Like you gotta be, 
you have to have some conviction. Begging, get a spine. Stop being gutless. Make the call. And it, I'm not just saying make any old call and then just say like, oh, 10 toes deep. Like, no, pay attention to the play, man. Like, you have to be laser focused on the play. That includes, did he get the shot off before the clock went off? That includes looking at his feet. You have a stressful job, but it's what you signed up for, man. Like, I, that's the other thing. They use it so much as a crutch, Taylor, that in these critical moments, they're like, I don't care what's happening. I'm going to let the play play out. And then I'm going to go to the monitor. It's maddening. Which game was it that they didn't even announce who the foul was on? Because the, they went I to forget. review. Do you know what I'm talking about? They went to the review and they realized that it wasn't even close to being a foul. Like, not even close to being a foul. And so they didn't. And the guy who they would potentially have called the foul on would have been his fifth foul. And, I've, and the, the, the announcers were remarking because they're like, the refs came over here. We talked to both of them. Nobody would tell us who the foul was on. It's like they just said, oh, well, yeah, there was just a foul or whatever. But it wasn't even close. I can't remember which game it was. But, yeah, it was like it was the most ridiculous thing uh, that I've ever seen where it's like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Someone else out here has got to know. It's like you guys are the only three people that would know who the foul is on. Can you let us Can you let us know? And this was post-review. The more I think about it, Taylor, they are infants, man. Like, what's wrong? Dot, what's wrong? Yeah, exactly. I can't effectively communicate to you. Like, are you able to make this this decision by yourself? No, you no. need my help. Like, you, yeah, you can't do it. Just, <laughs> I'm sure, but like, I know it's, we beat a dead horse and college basketball refs are the worst, but deserves to be highlighted. All right, Taylor, uh, get us out of here on some positivity, please. Easy layup. Well, I'm not sure it's positive for everybody, but just because we've talked about this for a long time, uh, my easy layup is um, uh, TCU passing out 500 horns down shirts this weekend. <laughs> I, I don't even need to explain why I, I find that as an easy layup. That's my easy layup. That has been the last uh, theme of the last few weeks. And yeah, good for TCU. Although they ended up losing that game, right? Yeah. Whatever. They'll, yeah. The shirts the sh- won. The shirts won. <laughs> My easy layup is for Temple's Heisier Miller. I was actually watching the the game the other day, and the announcer was highlighting his philanthropic work and his work outside of the basketball court, which I thought was really amazing. In July, I believe it was, of 23, he uh, released a book called No Place Like Home. We Have Unfinished Business, a compelling memoir uh, written by Heisier Miller. This deeply personal account chronicles Miller's journey and the pivotal decision to remain at Temple when faced with adversity, inspiring young black males, and addressing the urgent issue of gun violence in Philadelphia and beyond. I want to shout him out. I want to have this use this platform to promote this book and his efforts, because obviously gun violence is a huge issue in America, certainly in Philadelphia, and for a college kid who is uh, in that area. For a college kid to write this book, publish it, all of it, uh, on top of a Division One demanding schedule is nothing short of remarkable. And I think it's it speaks volumes of the young man's character and his ability to balance things and speak on, on sensitive issues. So Heiser Miller, uh, this is an easy layup. Get behind this young man. He is more than just a basketball player. He's clearly a brilliant, brilliant individual who's doing tremendous work in Philadelphia and beyond. So Heiser Miller. Very, very easy layup and easy to get behind. Mm-hmm. Always t- great catching up, TD. Uh, folks, I think we got a great episode for you dropping Thursday. I am so excited yes. to bring it to you. Yes. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Enjoy the rest of the week, though, uh, and we will catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.